Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Beat podcast. The mission of our podcast is to show the real-life challenges of implementing technology in healthcare. And the podcast is sponsored by Domingos, a company that develops IT solutions for startups and companies. You can check more information on Domingos.com. My name is Ivan Dunsky, and I'm joined by an honored guest, Morgan Hart the founder of the Heart Health Strategy LLC. Morgan works as an independent consultant for hospitals, systems, and insurance providers. Morgan's work with clients focuses on strategy for care transformation and business tactics to remain at the forefront of the industry. Her experience touches healthcare systems, government healthcare payers, commercial insurers, and health startups. Morgan, thank you for joining yeah, How I mean, are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well and always a pleasure to talk shop with others in the industry. Yeah, of course. We can start from the first question. Could you please give a brief background of the projects uh, you're currently working on? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said in your introduction, I work with a number of different types of organizations in the healthcare space, but primarily health systems, hospitals and, and providers, and then health insurance companies. So at any given time, I work with a number of clients who really have a challenge that they need help with, whether that is it's a short-term project that they don't want to have to bring on a full-time employee for, or they're looking for an external party to help with executive conversations, board presentations, et cetera. So often what I will work with organizations on are, are challenges around how they are really thinking about transforming their business approach to care delivery. So that is everything from addressing value-based care, what resources, what data, what technology they need to do that, and understanding what the others in the industry might be doing. That's where a consultant has a lot of value in that we have a, a wide perspective because we work with so many different types of organizations. And oftentimes I will also work with smaller organizations who are just really looking to say, hey, we have an idea. Let's make sure we're crafting this in the right way, whether that is a technology product or a go-to-market strategy. And I come in to really help kind of bounce ideas off folks and provide an external perspective again. So really it's strategy at the highest level, but also moving pieces together and making sure that the picture is well-rounded. Got it. Um, could you please explain what kind of parameters or how you measure or how organization that how you measure the performance of your work? Like for example, that advices were good and like ROI is there and, and so on. Right. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think with any type of project, oftentimes you have planning up front where part of my job is to say, okay, how do we want to look at the end of this journey, whether it's a six-month project or a multi-year project? Mm -hmm. um, and we define success, we being myself and my partners, we define success together. And so, you know, we'll kind of design what we want our goals to be, our metrics to be. And mm -hmm. sometimes that is, you know, we want to increase our revenue by X percent. And that's a really easy way to measure success. Did, did a consultant, Morgan, and her mm -hmm. company help us do that? Other times it's a little softer because there's so many factors that go into strategic projects in healthcare that success might be a little bit more um, qualitative. It might say, can we look back and say, we made really good change? Were we able to 
put a new process in place? Was this easy to do? Was this hard to do? And could we have accomplished this without our consultants' help? So, you know, the the ROI is a is a little intangible in some cases. And part of my job is to really understand with my clients up front what what do you want the outcome to be, and how can we work together to get there? And so, I always will look back at the end of a project and kind of review and say, did we do what we said we were going to do? And we met for implementation. And if we did, great. And if not, let's let's talk about how we could do a little better next time. So I hope that answers your question. I think with many things in healthcare, it's nebulous and you have to always be flexible and willing to kind of say, okay, maybe this isn't going to be a hard number we can look at. If it is, that's great. But if not, sometimes you have to think outside the box. Yeah. So uh, this answer is, it depends, right? It depends. (laughs) It depends. It depends. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And just to give more sense of the types of clients you work with, how, how big are the organizations? You know, I have a range. I think right now my current clients represent almost $20 billion in revenue between all of them. Pretty big companies, a couple thousand employees dealing with either whether they're insurance companies or health systems, either, you know, payers that are covering certain lives, they cover five, six figure, a thousand lives. And then for the hospital systems, the footprint is, is well into the thousands of patients that they cover across their area. So t- right now I work with a couple regional based organizations. I'm located in Washington, D.C. And so it's organizations who have a footprint around around the East Coast and kind of work in in the the kind of East Coast, Mid-Atlantic region. I have done some consulting for super small startups as well, and less than five employees, super early startup, as well as some smaller, you know, one to 200 person companies as well that have a product offering in the healthcare space. So short answer is size totally varies. I try to keep my doors open to any type of organization that wants to work with me, because I think every size organization has a role to play in this industry. We can't only look to the giants to be able to do things because sometimes change happens most quickly at small organizations that are encumbered by large policy or or large leadership divisions that would kind of make change difficult. Yeah, of course. So maybe that's a kind of general question or very general. What kind of, like, if you can classify some categories of main challenges mm-hmm. that you see that your clients face? I mean, the healthcare providers, not startups. Sure. From the provider perspective, and I think you see a little bit of this when I talk about my clients, and I think certainly more broadly in the industry, we have two huge players. We talk providers, so hospital entities, physicians, care delivery organizations. And then we also talk about payers, insurance Mm -hmm. providers like the government, Medicare, Medicaid, but also commercial insurance companies, big names like Aetna, United, Blue Cross, names that most in the industry would Mm -hmm. know. So with the payer and provider centric approach to this question, mean challenges, I think there are a couple. I think they're related. First, above all else, and I think this is something that anyone would tell you, one of the biggest challenges that provider entities and payer entities are trying to solve, my clients absolutely, is cost. This is something not new in the past year or two to the industry. Costs are continuing to grow, especially as we see more and more patients having high deductible health plans, more risk being put on the patient themselves to to pay out of pocket for care. And in general, you know, trends where there are higher and higher number of patients with complex conditions needing high cost treatment. And then certainly as you think about trends just in general with the population, we have 
thousands of people every day from the baby boomer generation aging into Medicare, shifting from a commercial, likely a commercial plan coverage to a government plan that many American taxpayers pay into that we hope will be there for us one day when we reach Medicare age. But the numbers are astounding of how many folks are starting to draw from that program. So big challenge is cost. How do we rein in the spending in the industry for costs? And that, I think, has some trickle-down challenges that others are trying to address. The rise of value-based care, thinking about new ways to address those cost increases. Are we thinking differently about reimbursement strategies and trying to save money while increasing value? And how do we kind of work to manage that in a world where we have lack of transparency and interoperability in technology, which I'm sure Ivan will dig into more with our time together today. And certainly with the COVID pandemic, staff shortages, that's a huge thing in the American healthcare industry right now, nursing and physician shortages, labor shortages, folks who are burnt out after the past 24 months of caring for patients in the pandemic and leaving the industry. And that is less bodies that are in our hospitals taking care of patients. And it really does put a strain on the industry as well. So there are a myriad of challenges that really kind of come together from that kind of high cost driver, more and more people using healthcare systems in a world where we have to have the people to provide care for them, the systems to support that care, and and really the technology to make good data-driven decisions around the care people need. So digging more into the costs issue, what do you think are the, the main categories in this cost that could be optimized? With the technology or maybe not with the technology. So what is the the biggest problem? Well, I think technology can solve for a lot of it. And that goes back to being able to provide good data to make decisions. But to answer your question specifically, where from a category standpoint, I see Mm -hmm. costs. I think one of the biggest ones uh, many provider organizations and payer organizations see is utilization, right? How are patients using the healthcare system? And when we say using That is not just are they coming to the healthcare system, whether that's the ED or the inpatient setting where they're staying for a couple days, elective surgery, urgent care, et cetera. Are they using the system? But also this is the way that the patient utilizing the system appropriate. And so many times the industry leaders will look to say, how do we shift utilization in a world where we know people are going to be sick? We know people are going to need healthcare services. How do we think about where those patients are using the system and is it appropriate for the care that they need? Oftentimes we hear about high cost drivers about unnecessary utilization in the industry. And what that really means is, did the patient need the type of care that they received in the location that they received it? You can think about a classic example of someone who goes to the emergency room because they have no transportation, they need to call an ambulance to get there, but their condition is actually very mild and it would have been more appropriate for that patient to be seen in an urgent care or even a primary care setting, typically far less costly than an ambulance ride and an admission to the emergency department. But if that patient felt they had no other option, that's where they go for care. And so you're faced with a cost that could have totally been avoided and put in a more appropriate setting of care that would have resulted in a lower cost for that patient and probably better experience for that patient as well. Because I'm sure, Ivan, if you've ever been to an ED, if it's not a totally emergency situation, it's often hours of time waiting to be um, admitted and triaged to the right place. So 
Utilization, I would say, is one of the biggest categories that we hear about often. And I think a number of technology solutions, a number of consulting strategies are all really around how do we make sure that utilization is appropriate and that utilization is necessary when we think about cost. Are there any technology solutions on your mind that address this problem? in the most efficient way. Absolutely. I think there are many technology companies out there today that have, whether their entire solution is built around this or they're an EHR or electronic medical record company that has an add-on. I think a lot of tech companies have definitely realized this, and I think it's a big opportunity for for technology firms. You know, a lot of times utilization challenges, folks are are looking at data that is claims-based. You get utilization Mm -hmm. reports or claims reports that are often after that patient has seen the physician in that setting of care. Hard to really redirect them in a place where the care's already happened. So many technology solutions I've seen in my experience are are thinking about predictive analytics to help Mm -hmm. targeting patients who may have a condition that may cause them to present in the ED that they might not need to, and couples that with historical claims and and historical utilization data to see if they have utilized that setting of care that's unnecessary. And and it flags those patients for at the point of care providers to see if they're coming in, can we triage them? So technology-wise, I know that is certainly there as well. The CMS Innovation Center, that's a branch of CMS that was created about 12 years ago after the Affordable Care Act, is also testing a model called the ET3 model, which is putting triage lines in certain places where patients are calling in to get an ambulance to the ED. And the systems allow for those who are answering the phone to really assess if that patient should be redirected to an urgent care instead of an ED. So certain technologies to kind of look into how patients are accessing care and can we triage them to the appropriate setting of care and get them treated right. So definitely Mm -hmm. something I know is also, you know, there's no perfect solution out there yet, but there are many technology companies that are looking into this and using some combination of natural language processing, predictive analytics, claims and utilization data, and, and kind of creating some system, whether that puts an alert or a flag for the end user to kind of say, could we put this patient in the right place? I think that that's not a piece of functionality that will go away anytime soon and certainly think it's a good investment area for technology companies who might be looking into that. And I'm curious, uh, when you work with your clients, do you suggest some technology solutions to them when you co-develop the strategy for the company? Yeah, you know, certainly I I am very unbiased in in the types of solutions I recommend, but oftentimes if there is an opportunity, I might say to a client, have you thought about a care management solution that's integrated to Mm -hmm. the EHR? And more generally, we'll recommend workflow tools or technologies that might help an organization think about how they are able to improve efficiency or reduce time to kind of do that work or reduce manual labor from the data analyst teams who are already looking at this claims data or looking at this utilization data and looking for a better way to kind of mine through it. So, you know, while my experience is typically in working with health systems and insurance companies on process and operations, as I'm aware of technologies or as I'm aware of solutions that might make sense, I certainly will kind of ask the question of what's the point solution we've thought of? Do we have something in place? Are we happy with it? And does it do what we really want it to do? And that's something that I think, you know, many organizations have been going through over the past 20 years, modernization of records, moving away from the manila folder with the last 
first three digits of the last name, right, that has your patient chart to an electronic health record. But how are we also thinking about making that data within the health record usable? And how does it communicate with other systems that we need it to? And so, you know, with the explosion of funding in the health tech space over the past five to 10 years, there are so many solutions out there. It's really a question of what do my clients need? What are their biggest challenges? And do they have something that works well for them? Or do they need to do some shopping? And so, you know, it is not my place to ever specifically recommend a particular solution, but but want to be able to provide advice and guidance if my client's going through an RFP process and kind of bring some opportunities to their decision-making process so they pick the best solution for what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And uh, could you outline some challenges, like maybe main categories? I think that you did a great job when you explained the major challenges of the uh, of providers, but could you please outline main problems in technology that providers have? Yeah, technology specifically, I think, yeah, yeah, in my experience, and again, I'm not a clinician, I I, I don't practice, but I work alongside many of them and work alongside physician leaders. So I hear a lot of the successes and challenges. I would say a couple of the challenges, and I mentioned this as one of the categories earlier, is lack of interoperability with data and and transparency with data. So again, there has been such a a good movement towards using data and using technology in in the healthcare space over the past couple of decades, but the systems are, are not designed to talk to each other automatically. I think we see this a lot with lack of interoperability between EHRs. If you have an EHR in your inpatient setting and you have a different EHR vendor in your specialty clinics, that is a common thing where a system might not be on the same EHR for every site. Um, Do those systems talk to each other? Is it easy to transfer patient records? Um, Is direct messaging set up the capability where users from one system can directly message users on another system about a shared patient? All of these things are not, um, in my experience, out-of-the-box offerings it's a frustration point where clinicians and clinician leaders feel like they have to pay extra to get the systems to talk to each other. And, you know, many systems do invest in that. And you often see many systems will scrap multiple EHR systems. If they have a disparate system across their system, they'll scrap it and and do a big implementation to get everybody on the same system. So that lack of interoperability, I think, is a challenge. The data is there. The systems are there, but they are not configured to talk to each other without extra lift and extra cost on the provider side. So I think that's a frustration that organizations continually work to solve and they found workarounds and they found solutions. But until we get to a world where we're on a single EHR system for the entire patient population in the United States, which is a pipe dream for many of us, that's going to be a challenge that's here to stay. And we have to think creatively around how to work around that. Is, is there an extra solution on top that we implement that? aggregates the data for us? Do we have an enterprise data warehouse we're using? What are those solutions where we have one place for all of our data to live and can we use it? And I think one of the other challenges when we think about transparency and and, and interoperability is the functionality of the system itself. What I Mm -hmm. often have seen in my experience is what leadership understands from a theoretical and a strategic standpoint for the system to do and what the end users are actually doing with the system, whether from a capability or a user 
usability standpoint sometimes differs greatly. And what I mean by that is, you know, the C-suite of leadership in a hospital may have months of meetings with a sales team and leadership from a technology company to really talk about what they want out of this system. But through 12 to 24 months of implementation and then end user use and refinement of the tool, there may be technology pieces that the leadership felt was really important, an extra widget or an add-on that they paid for that is actually really cumbersome from the end user to use, whether that's an extra drop-down or a multi-click reporting function that just isn't easy to use. And so you find that leadership will say, well, we bought the system to do X and the end users say, gosh, that takes so much time. We don't have time to do that. So we don't even use that functionality. And that's a frustration point, I think, for both sides of the coin here. And then certainly for the technology company, right? You want your tool to be used at its very best. You want it to be really be providing value for your client. But if your client teams have a different perspective of how the tool is being used, then that's a challenge. So those are, I think, two of the big things I see is interoperability and then the actual functionality and, and usability of the tool. And the number of times I see dormant dropdowns that somebody paid extra for because they wanted the ability to do that data field mining and in a report, but nobody uses it because it's really hard to find. If I had a dollar for every time that happened, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> I don't know if that yeah. resonates with your experience and what you all are trying to address, but certainly things I think, you know, it's how do we communicate with the end users and how do we really make sure that the tool is, is optimized and using it the best of its capacity? Is it really doing what we said it would do? And is it really doing what our end user needs it to do? Yeah, uh, I spoke with several physicians where in the hospitals, the Epic or Cerner was implemented and basically they said that they hated it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but that's... because well, I'm sure the executives got super excited about it. But, you know, the chief clinical officer, the chief financial officer who's in those meetings getting pitched is often not using the tool every day. Right. So the people who bought the tool and signed on the dotted line are not the people who are using it day in and day out. And so, you know, how do you communicate that and really share feedback up through the organization, but also make sure that that feedback gets back to the EHR company? You know, I think EHRs get a lot of brunt of frustration because, um, they're not perfect, but they're certainly better than, like I mentioned, the Manila folder where we had to fax or put patient records in the mail. I mean, there's definitely improvement there, but again, nothing's perfect. So I know you and your organization are often working with others to try and solve those frustrations and figure out how to create custom solutions that can maybe bridge a gap or turn something from, I hate it. to it works pretty well for what we need it to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what do you think about these big solutions like Epic and Cerner? Uh, because I believe the part of their strategy to consolidate all the data so uh, that you don't need to switch between different systems, you just set up Epic and it covers like all the things that the provider needs. Like, what do you think? Because I think a big uh, portion of your clients uses that systems. Yeah, yeah, Epic, Cerner, eClinicalWorks, they, you know, Athena, we see in, in different pieces, it's a little bit different being cloud-based, but, you know, I think it's a good and, and a challenging thing, right? I think when you think about software solutions in healthcare, that aspect of the industry from a true commercial and true entrepreneurial standpoint is really no different than any other good or service. So mm -hmm. there's always the argument of, is consolidation and monopolization of a technology or solution good, or does it not allow for the customers and the users to have enough choice to be able to do those the things that they want to do? So I think certainly in, in some vein, having a full suite of products in one 
operating system, like an Epic or like an eClinical works. If you can have every module turned on and everything sits in one platform with one login, one single sign-on, the ability to do all your reporting within one system, I think from a clinician and an end user perspective, that would be amazing. I know that I hear a lot of frustration from end users that wow, we have five different logins and we have to go to five different websites to get different pieces of the reports we need or different reports for different things because the, the, the EHR does one thing, but the claim system does something else and our provider directory lives somewhere, somewhere else. So I know from an ease of use standpoint, having a single login and a single source of truth for that data would be great. But I also think that there's always the capitalist argument of does lack of diversity in offerings allow for growth and innovation if we only have two or three offerings versus hundreds that we can choose from? And, and what does that do for competition? And how does that help hold us all accountable to be better? So, you know, in my position, I am not a buyer of these products. I think there's definitely value in having them all in one place. But I also think that, you know, we live in an industry in the United States where competition is a good thing. And the continual innovation in our technology products is only helping keep at least the, the very lowest performers better, right? The, the statement of a rising tide raises all ships. Well, if we're only as good as our worst product when there's only two or three choices, where does that leave us when it comes to frustration and it comes to opportunities? If you don't have anywhere else to go, you're kind of stuck with what you're given. So I know that's, that's you know, and another it depends answer, but I think that there's two ways to look at it. And I think that we'll continue to see the big tech EHR solutions offering more and more add-ons. But I think that that does not mean our smaller um point solutions will go away. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that it, that keeps innovation going. I think that that means there's always going to be a good, good, healthy, competitive space. And that that's ultimately good for our providers because they were able to do what they need to do to ultimately give patients the best care at the lowest possible cost and the highest possible quality. Yes. But from the practical standpoint, not the philosophical, do you think that these systems cover like a lot or most of uh, the needs that providers have? From a practical standpoint, I would say, sure. The, Why then we need other systems? <laughs> <laughs> and and I think the reason that I would say sure and not yes is because the bare minimum of accessing patient records, submitting orders, looking at, you know, utilization, when were they last in, what, how long were they here, the systems do what they need. But as the industry continues to move towards wanting to really manage costs, improve value, we're going to need better and better solutions that allow us to look to the future. And I don't know if EHRs being so focused in being an electronic health record can also be all things, right? Is it better for us to have one system that does everything kind of good, but it's all in one place? Or is it better to have specialties where 90% of what we need is in one place, but we definitely still want an add-on for these other things that are more innovative and more forward-looking? So practically, I would say EHR solutions and their add-ons are good, but they're never going to solve every problem because there are always new problems that are being created or emerging in the healthcare system as we move more and more towards risk and we move more and more towards value. So I think the answer is EHRs do a lot. They don't do everything and they probably never will. So I think that there's always going to be that space for the smaller technologies. Yeah. So a question I have. So let's imagine the situation when 
provider wants to have more proactive way of dealing with patients and they're looking a kind of a predictive analytics tool mm-hmm. and they have two choices one choice they can bring in small brand new solution from the market that uh, it connected to your epic to their existing epic and it analyzes and, and gives some predictions on the other uh, hand we have offering from epic where they offer basically the same thing that you need to ins- install the plugin and plugin will take all the data from your EHR and will make your predictions. So how you see the situation, what would you choose? What solution would if, you choose? If the solutions were truly equal in their functionality and the solutions were equal or close in cost, knowing what I know about technology implementations, the the widget or the add-on solution in your existing EHR, if I were a health system, would probably be a better fit because I'm betting because it's not a new implementation, it's using existing data and it's really turning on functionality. I think that is overall an easier process. So I think all things being equal, having the additional ability to kind of turn on a widget or turn on something that isn't an additional lift on an implementation side is always going to be valuable. But I think it goes back to the question of, is the solution truly equal? Does it really do every Mm -hmm. single thing that the other small on-shelf solution will do? And if the answer is yes, then great. That's a win for Epic. If the answer is no, then is Mm -hmm. the implementation cost and the financial cost enough to justify staying with Epic to do it? Or is the extra functionality truly worth the extra investment from the health system? I think you have to make a business decision there. You know, ease of use, all again, not having multiple logins for the same thing is always going to be, I think, a win for the end user. But the question is really, you know, is this a true apples to apples comparison or is it not? And how do we weigh those things? So that's something I often will kind of talk about with my clients to say, you know, can our EHR add-in really do this? Do we really think that it can do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the answer is yes, then that's an easy, I think, easy box to check. And if the answer is no, then that's where I think it is always good to kind of look towards other solutions to say, you know, our EHR is really good, but it's not all things. And if it can't really do that, that one thing we need, then it is time to go outside the EHR and add an additional product in. Maybe one day again, we'll be on a master EHR for every patient in the world. You know, Medicare has been trying this for years. We're just seeing it in the military with the new Genesis EHR that's going live right now. I think we're years and years and years away from that in the industry. But until we get there, I think we'll continue to see there is always going to be a business case. These smaller companies start because they see an opportunity in the market. EHRs don't do it. So let's create a company that does. And until we get acquired or until we get big enough to have our own kind of challenger here, small companies, I think, are, are continuing to emerge and continue to get funding because they're doing something unique that the big guys aren't doing. Yep, definitely makes sense. You touched a very uh, interesting topic uh, that not always the vision of decision makers and clinicians are equal when they use systems. So what is the input? How do you see the process could be optimized and could be more efficient, especially during the purchase timeline? What is the best approach maybe to involve clinicians at the point where where decision of purchases is making? Or how, how do you see this? Yeah, I, I would advise most purchasers of products to involve your end users up front. If you're not already, have a listening session 
collect feedback, understand what the biggest gaps are today and, you know, what's the system we really need and, and what are the big pieces that you as an end user really want. And I think as many times as you can to include your end user leads, if there's one or two folks that are kind of stepped up to represent the, the medical department, have them involved in demonstrations, let them ask questions of technology solutions and sales teams. So you don't get to a place where you get a solution, you've bought it, and then the end users say, well, nobody asked us if this would even be helpful or nobody asked us what we really wanted. I think that's a really easy way to evolve those pitfalls is to involve end users early and often in the sales process. I've also heard many times, and I'm sure, Ivan, you've seen this too, where leadership gets sold functionality that actually doesn't exist in the product today. <laughs> We're told in the sales process, it'll do this. And then we implement it and everyone's frustrated that it doesn't do that. But they will add it next year. So. Sure. It's on the roadmap. It's on the roadmap, yeah. which is great. But I think in that sense, it's how do technology companies overcome that to say, okay, it is on the roadmap. You're not going to get it for 12 to 14 months, but what is the problem today that the end users are frustrated about not being able to do? And how do we create a workaround or solution that helps get us there while that functionality is still in production? And I think a lot of times if technology companies are willing to come to the table and maybe not be a development partner, but really listen to end users, not just those that are signing on on the dotted line to say, how can we solve this issue? Then ultimately, you know, it leaves everybody feeling like they're winning. And so if you're a technology company or you're a purchaser of a product, think about your end users, think about what they want, not just what's going to look good to the board, not what's just going to kind of check the boxes at the C-suite level to really make sure that you're buying a product that's going to get used and that you're paying for the things that are actually getting used on the end user side. And next question on, on this topic, could you give some tips on created or implemented technology that clinicians would accept? Like what main things to consider? Yeah, I think, again, like I mentioned earlier, reducing the number of places a clinician has to go, whether that's multiple logins or multiple clicks, I think streamlining where information input goes is always a win. I think what do you mean by always a win? I mean, it, it, you know, if you're asking a clinician who is charged with doing patient care and spending time with their patients and they have to do 27 clicks in the tool to get from tab to tab to tab to input data while they're asking patients questions, um, I think that's a frustration. And you hear a lot of times clinicians will say, you know, I didn't go to med school to click in a document. I want to do patient care. How can you as a technology solution create a very streamlined very easy to use solution that minimizes where someone has to go to put information in. I know that's not always perfect or easy to do, but I think the easier it is to put information in a single place, the more it's going to get used by a clinician because, you know, they're charged with getting this data in and helping make it usable and meaningful for those who are trying to analyze it, but also deliver really good patient care. And it's really frustrating as a patient too, I'm sure, to be sitting there trying to talk to your physician and they're sitting behind a computer and not really talking to you because they know they have to get documentation done. They have to submit these mm -hmm. things to the system and it's really hard for them to use. So I think that's, that's one thing is just thinking about ease of use and usability, not to get wooed by oh, we could do this, but it's going to be really cumbersome. I think that's where you start to see people not use things because it doesn't make sense in workflow. And, and from a clinical documentation standpoint, they're going to only do the bare minimum. 
So I'd say that would be my biggest tip or advice and what I've heard from working with clinicians on tools. And again, if, you know, if you have an add-on, if there's a way to create a single sign-on system and, and do SSO and get that built in the tool, that's also a win. <laughs> again, I know from hearing it from my clients, nobody likes to have five or six places they have to enter different logins and people forget the logins and then they don't use it because they forget their password. If you have one one way to do that and you can really do single sign-on for your solution with other systems, then that I think will also lead to more use and, and more satisfaction with the tools. Yeah, as a person on the technology side, I would say that the problem in this that not always actually clinicians are involved in the development process when the product is, is developed. Yeah. And like people like engineers and developers, they create products, but they don't understand how exactly these things are, are happening in real world. So that's an issue that results in this challenge that you just explained. Yeah. Do, do you see that healthcare providers and organizations want to invest more and, and more in technology than previously, than in previous years? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think as a perfect example, with the COVID pandemic, we have seen in the U.S. healthcare industry an explosion of telehealth and remote patient monitoring, digital solutions to deliver care that were not used nearly at the volumes that they're used now. You can look up any data that really shows that the percentage of visits that were done via telehealth prior to 2020 in the pandemic was very low, less than 10%, whereas you saw a huge rise in that. And so I think more and more systems are realizing that, again, going to that challenge around cost, around is this the right place of care? Is this the best way for our patients to access our system? Invest Investing in a digital health platform is a short-term investment that will pay off in the long run because there is an increase in access, decrease in cost typically, and overall satisfaction for patients to be able to join a Zoom for a call that they didn't need to go into the doctor's office to do if it's a acute enough condition that can be managed over a video chat. And especially for our patients who have access challenges, who have um, mobility challenges, who may be in a position where they cannot get in a car and drive themselves to the urgent care or primary care setting. Digital health solutions are, are a huge win. I think that's just one example. I think with that, again, there's billions of dollars, as I mentioned, that are being pumped into the VC and you know investing space when it comes to digital health because payer and provider organizations are seeing the value in investing in technology and having data and having rich data that's usable and can be mined from really slick solutions or create really meaningful dashboards, that is a huge value add. And so I don't think that that investment is going to go anywhere anytime soon. I think that that's a trend that'll continue, at least for the providers and in the industry. And what kind of technology trends do you see in healthcare like in the next three, five years? I think telehealth will continue to be a top of mind one. I don't think that'll wane, especially as we continue to see the COVID variants kind of waxing and waning and, and kind of fits and starts of, is it safe to travel? Is it not safe to travel? I think that's definitely a big one, telehealth solutions. I think wearables continue to be something that the industry is looking to invest in. I think more and more organizations are exploring partnerships with remote patient monitoring tools. So a little different than telehealth, where it's a visit, a video visit. Are there solutions that you can invest in that allow a device, a small device to be sent home with a patient to do basic monitoring? Like if you need to do a chest uh, scope or uh, ear or 
anything that's kind of a, a minor uh, scan, are, is there a wearable or a RPM technology you can send home that is low cost to a provider, but allows you to kind of get data, those sorts of things, I think in the next three to five years, we'll see a lot of. And I think specialty care, we'll, we'll see there's a couple of smaller companies and, and even larger companies where it's not just a primary care or access issue, but it's specific conditions like maternal health, um, mental health and behavioral health solutions. Mm-hmm. There's a, a huge, huge rise in those that will continue to raise investment and money from the VC space. I think, you know, tools to help with obesity, musculoskeletal challenges, et cetera. You see a lot of smaller or growth companies emerging. And I think that that trend will continue. You'll see investment in that space because uh, across the industry, we realize that, you know, there's complexity in people's care. And typically it's not just the flu or I don't feel well. It's a specific chronic condition that needs to be managed. And if we can do that and empower the patients with technology, that makes our jobs easier as clinicians. And we can kind of have a true care partnership with our patients because they have a tool to help them be successful. So that's kind of my outlook. And, and I think there's plenty more where that came from, but Given I know we don't have five hours to talk through this today. Yeah, we, yeah, of course. We gotta keep it at the high level. Yeah, basically we are coming to the end of an interview, and I have probably the last question before our rapid fire round. What kind of advice that you give to your clients, your startup clients who are startups, to somebody who are building a new telehealth or health tech solution? What kind of advice can you give? to to this people. Yeah, I would say, you know, and you mentioned this just a bit ago, Ivan, is give your clinicians a seat at the table in development. I think um, it is no good to be really excited about a tool that gets good funding, but is never going to get sold or used because it doesn't make sense. I think having a great idea and having good technology experts and good professionals who can develop a tool is great, but having a subject matter expert or a kind of advisor that is a clinician, again, I'm not a clinician, so I'm more on the ops and strategy side, but having a a clinician who has practiced and has used these tools is a great investment. You don't have to have them on your on your payroll full time. You can pay them for just a little bit of advising. That is a very sound investment that I would encourage small companies who want a tool to be user-friendly for a clinician to use. I, I know it seems a little intuitive and, and should maybe go without being said, but you'd be surprised. Again, like you said, the number of tools that go through development without really having that user testing and that user acceptance from a clinician's perspective. And I think always kind of having a pulse on the industry, having conversations, having making sure that you have someone who is out there networking, listening, talking is always a good idea to just make sure that as the tide changes and it does rapidly in healthcare, that your organization is well positioned to make those changes. So I think those are two small investments that a small company can make that would pay off big time. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, I I think we covered a lot during this interview and I'd like to end this one as always, as uh, we always do a light exercise called rapid fire round. I will ask you several questions and you give answers, whatever you like. Great. Do you have a hobby? I do. I'm a competitive horseback rider. I do show jumping. Oh, Yep, it's a big one. It's it's more of a, a habit than a hobby, but I love it. So are there any, any competitions or just 
Not well. I do do compete, but I actually take the winter off because I'm a wimp and I hate the cold. And I usually wait until it gets above 50 degrees to take my horse out again. So it's just training for the winter. But yes, I do compete. Okay, cool. What is the location that impressed you the most? I would have to say Florence, Italy, and specifically Mm -hmm. the Piazza di Michelangelo. During sunset, you can kind of look out and see the entire city. You see the Ponte Vecchio and the Duomo, and it's just so, so gorgeous and such a slice of Tuscan heaven. It sits with me today, even though it's been years since I've been back there. So definitely, uh, you know, on a cold winter day here in the D.C. region, I close my eyes and think <laughs> actually warmer, more beautiful times. But definitely a, a bucket list item for anyone who hasn't gone Florence. Yeah, I, I love Italy as well, but mm-hmm. I love Milan more. <laughs> the more industrial. Yeah, uh, very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is the one piece of advice that you, you would give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, I would say don't be afraid to fail at something new. I think as I'm a small business owner myself now, and I, you know, I love the work I do. I have my own company, and I think... You know, at 20 years old, I probably would have never imagined that. And I think for anyone who's starting their career, you know, you want to be successful and you want to kind of build a good professional career. And I think sometimes perfect is the enemy of good. And we get scared of stepping outside of our comfort zone because we're doing well where we are. But I think uh, that advice was given to me by a mentor. Don't be afraid to, to fail and fail forward at that. Take what you what you suck at and <laughs> learn from it and be better. And I think it's only helped me kind of address where I can continue to grow professionally and and be better for my clients and the people I work with. So that would that would be it. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Morgan, for your time. And I think that things that we we discovered during this conversation could be valuable for decision makers in in healthcare providers as well as for health tech startups what things to consider when they build or promote their solution. Yeah, so before we finish, what is the best way to get in touch with you? So, for example, if providers want to reach out to you and would be interested in your services? Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Ivan, for having me. I think this was a great conversation. And if anyone's interested, my email address is uh, the best way to get in touch with me. It's it's Morgan at Heart Health Strategy, H-A-R-T, not like the heart in your body, <laughs> but that is the best way to reach out to me and I'm pretty responsive there. So certainly yeah. encourage anyone with questions or interests to reach out. I will add that in our resources uh, section. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you, Morgan. Thank you all listeners and catch you on next episodes. Mm-hmm.